here comes the money. You're now listening to the Gambling with Gold podcast with Jason Gold. Presented by Champions Round. Welcome back to Gambling with Gold. My name is Jason Gold, and I am joined this week once again by Spencer Aguiar, who is the senior PGA analyst at Rotoballer and the host of the Better Golf Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at TOffSports. Welcome back, Spencer. Can't wait to get into the Players' Championship this week taking place at TPC Sawgrass. Thanks once again, Jason, for having me on. I look forward to running through this board with you. It is going to be a lot of bets flying all over the board. I listened to Spencer's podcast last night, so I already put in some bets, but we're going to break down everything that you guys need, whether it's DraftKings, outrights, top fives, top 10, 20s. I know you got a lot of top 40s that you like this week, some round one matchups, tourney matchups. I think a good place to start here, again, with the course, TPC Sawgrass. Little bit of a shorter course compared to last week, a little bit 7,200 yards, but you got water all over the place. And what everyone's going to talk about this week is that the weather in Florida is absolutely brutal. Looks like we're probably going to have delays. I wouldn't be surprised to see this thing head into Monday. Right now, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we have rain, lightning. Saturday looks like up to 35 mile per hour winds. I don't know if that's changed since the last time that I looked at it. Sunday, even, which is supposed to be the nice day. Is 54 degrees. So how do you think all of that is going to affect uh, the round and perhaps where we can find value on some bets here? Well, let's start with the course first and get into the weather. When I look at the weather, you know, that's a really hard thing to predict. Um, obviously, as the tournament goes on, we'll get a better indication, like in an in-tournament sense of the matchup. We can kind of only base things off of what's going to happen on Thursday for that. But I think outside of the weather, the most important thing to note about the Players' Championship for everyone trying to do research, whether that be for making DFS lineups or wagers for tomorrow, is that long-term course history is not only volatile, but it's also less predictive in the sense that we just had this tournament move from May to March on the schedule a few years ago. That might not seem like a massive deal to how the venue is going to play, but there are a few critical factors that get completely altered and perhaps will make results over the past few years more impactful in the erratic nature we have become accustomed to at this track. Before I get into my statistical breakdown this week, I do want to talk about the two-month move and try to make sense for everyone listening for why things change at TPC Sawgrass. I've always been a big proponent that the venue was initially constructed to be played in colder weather conditions. The May iteration of the event used to give us this dormant but playable Bermuda surface where the greens were rock hard, the fairways were speedy, and all of those factors mixed together created this fiery test where you couldn't really stop your irons on the greens. But all of that changes in March. And one of the things I want to note is there is a sub-air system in place. So that's going to be able to drown out, um, for I guess lack of a better word there, uh, some of the rain that's going to come into the mix this week. But uh, one of the things is we're going to get a softer and more conducive layout for quality iron players. Uh, The first thing with that is because it gets overseeded with Poa Trivialis. That creates a stickier texture that naturally stops the ball. And it doesn't only factor in on the greens. We see the same impact on the fairways. The putting surface will still be extremely quick on your putts, but the greens aren't as rock hard as we saw last week. I think that that makes this a second shot course. I think iron proximity is going to be very important. Um, You know, if weather and let's just say rain specifically 
like I said, there is a sub air system to dry it out a little bit, but if it softens up even more, I think that gives even more of an emphasis on iron play. Uh, I will quickly run through my model here because I, I don't want to have this be a 30 minute show of just data, but yeah. I started with weighted T to green for 20%. That's a combination of 24% off the T, 55% approach and 21% around the green. The approach number took into account a redistribution of all historical proximity distances at Sawgrass. I then combined those three totals to get the weighted T to green stat that I came up with. I did seven and a half percent on strokes gain total at TPC courses and 10% on strokes gain total at par 72s under 7,200 yards. This is just more course specific numbers to look at. 10% on fast to lightning greens. That was a split between strokes gain total on fast greens and strokes gain putting on fast greens. Weighted scrambling for 15%. Uh, that's kind of a jumbled up concoction of various metrics that I put together. Uh, it's including, but not limited to sand save percentage, bogey avoidance, and then that extra weight of proximity that I talked about. Par five birdie or better percentage for 15%. That's always going to be self-explanatory when you get a par 72. Birdie or better plus bogey avoidance for 10%. Uh, it's another spot that I wanted to double dip a little bit on bogey avoidance. And then I wrapped it up with 12.5% on ball striking. That is a recalculation to form a course-specific total driving number. And I mixed that number with my two-year GIR baseline to get a ball striking total there. So uh, obviously, as you mentioned, just to summarize it a little bit, weather is going to be very impactful this week. I think it makes it a much more complicated board to try to run through. Um, you're going to see that with a lot of the wagers that I made, and, and we can get into it when we get into the top 40 market of how I decide to do my board. But um, it's definitely going to be impactful and something to keep in mind in DFS contests and bets alike. So I actually have two questions based on the model that you just broke down. And thank you for doing that. I always find it very interesting how you go about your process there. Uh, the first is you mentioned that you take into account all TPC courses. Do you mean more than just Sawgrass? You mean every single TPC course that's out there? So, okay. So why do you do that? And then two, do you also take into account all peak die courses? Do you think that that has any impact looking at who's had success on die courses and trying to make bets based on that? Sure. I think that's another way you can go. Like in my model this week, I have a peak die filter over the past year. Um, I have a filter for TPC courses. Um, you know, when I run it, it obviously gives you a different thing with it. I didn't go the peak die route this week with it just because I weighted eight categories and I'm trying to make sure that I have enough approach numbers with it. But uh, one of the thing with TPC properties that I've noticed over time is that they all play almost exactly the same. They're made for TV properties where you kind of see the same quirks come into play over and over again. And you see the same thing on peak die layouts also. Like a lot of peak die layouts, you're going to have those forced layups off the tee. Um, there's just certain factors and I, and I think it's really good for model making to put it in there because you see the same qualities over and over again when you and you look at these types of courses. So um, I always find it to be a really pertinent category to look into because I think it just makes it a little bit easier to find minute differences that you wouldn't be able to find normally. Because what we're really trying to find are players that are going to be able to play this specific course well. And as you've noticed, like I have all my course specific metrics. I'm looking at courses that mimic TPC Sawgrass. So it's kind of just trying to build a model out that's going to look at enough stats that when we roll it over enough times, it's going to make sense. And the same players are going to steadily keep popping up. Awesome. Yeah. Great explanation there. And from experience playing P-Dye courses, that is a very, very mean person. I do not want to deal with <laughs> P-Dye anymore. Uh, all right. Let's go over to our 
outright bets. Let's start there on the board. Uh, who do you have as some of your top outright plays for the Players' Championship? Yeah, so I'm going to keep things a little simpler because of the volatility of the venue. My exposure will be 0.8 units pre-event to win around 8 units on all these choices. I think in-tournament wagering is an intriguing route to take. Uh, you can wait till Saturday because that's where some of the weather is going to be a little bit more impactful here. But I started with Justin Thomas at 16 to 1. The best legal price I have seen is 15 to 1 at FanDuel. But a lot of these offshore books have gradually started to move Thomas a little. Uh, nothing changes for me between 14 to 16 to 1 outside of risk to get the exposure I want. Uh, but I, as you know, one of the things is keep looking around, like the most important thing that I can recommend to everybody that bets have as many books as possible because like price shopping is the number one thing to the game. I mean, you will become a better gambler just by having more books at your disposal with it. But, uh, I did heavily consider ROM at 13 to one. I might regret not going there, but Thomas pulled off the impossible by grading first overall for me and my model at an event where ROM is entered. And perhaps more importantly, it was the complete arsenal Thomas had at his disposal that moved him into being the man to beat when also running this event for upside. Uh, Thomas checks all the boxes by grading first overall and weighted T to green, weighted scrambling, and weighted proximity. And as I just ran through in my model, those weighted categories are of the utmost importance since all of those factors are put into place to mimic TPC Sawgrass. I placed a 70 to 1 wager on Abraham Answer. That has drifted to 75 to 1 on, uh, I believe it's either DraftKings or FanDuel. It might be FanDuel. Um, double check that though. It's it's a better price than I got. So um, one of the things I like about him, and, and I will mention it a little bit more when we get into some of the placement wagers, because I have a little bit more to say about him there. But uh, these venues with smaller greens have always provided higher upside for him. I think this is a really good course fit for him. We've seen two top 25s in his two attempts that he's played this course. I'm probably going to be the only person this week that has this ticket. I placed it this morning. Tony Finau, 80 to 1. Um, if you look around, I've seen as high as 100 to 1 out there. Unfortunately, I didn't have a book with higher than 80 to 1, but I'm purely number grabbing because of his talent. He's one of the highest climbers in my model when running this tournament to include nothing but upside. And while his floor is certainly going to potentially be a miscut, we don't need to worry about that on an outright wager. I, I think... This is an interesting spot for him, and I think it's a really good number grab. I mean, not too long ago, we would have been seeing him at 30 or 40 to 1 in this field. I think at double the price, it does make some sense to take a shot on him. And then I wrapped up my card with Russell Henley at 90 to 1. I think 70 to 1 is the best I have seen as of today, but there was 120 to 1 available when this opened on Monday. Uh, you might be able to find a local book sleeping when it comes to that price, but yeah, 0 0.80 units between those four wagers is how I spread out my outright card this week. So I'm looking at DraftKings odds right now. I actually bet the Henley based on your uh, analysis on your podcast last night. I got that at 75 to 1. DraftKings currently at 55 to 1. So perhaps you had something to do with a little movement in the market here or a little steam happening on Russell Henley, which I'm actually not surprised to see uh, given his potential this week. Abraham answer DraftKings 65 and Finau is at 80. So answer, you said 75 in the market. I'll look around to see if I can find that. I have not placed anything on him yet, but I'm interested. He's certainly a guy that's capable of going out and winning a tournament like this against the best guys uh, in the world. All right, let's go over to top five, 10s, 20s, 40s. I know that you're going to 
make a mark with your top 40s. I know that's the angle you usually like to take here. Yeah, so I have a pretty extensive top 40 card for the players. Uh, as I kind of keep mentioning, my mentality this week is to take some prices a little further down the board because of the potential for bad weather over the weekend. I feel like that provides me my best chance to gain an advantage inside of the placement market since bets are going to go from fully in control to randomly imploding with you know 17 holes having water that will come into play. But I will quickly run through these and try to explain a few bullet point reasons as to why they made my card. I started once again with Sebastian Munoz for a top 40 at plus 260 on FanDuel. That is plus 160 on DraftKings. For everyone that listened to the two of us on this show last week, you will remember that he got us to the window at the API. And a lot of the trends continued at Bay Hill when it comes to his ball striking. He's still averaging over four strokes off the tee plus approach over his past four tournaments, which has helped him post four top 39 finishes in a row. Yes, the putter continues to spiral, but Munoz ranks top 40 in this field on fast to lightning greens. That should provide us some optimism that any positive regression with the putter can push this wager even higher than a top 40. But I think the top 40 price on FanDuel at plus 260 is the way to back Munoz in the market this week. I grabbed Russell Henley top 40 at plus 135. Um, the first reason is because FanDuel made a mistake in price Henley plus 135 on both a top 30 and a top 40 wager. I had a proper price being plus 110 for this particular wager, but I also think he's entering the week on fire. 13 straight made cuts. He's one of only four players that ranks inside the top 10 of this field for both GIR percentage and strokes gain total at TPC courses. Uh, for reference sake, Rom, Simpson, and Berger are the other three. And the course history of four missed cuts in five attempts isn't as indicative as you might think since Henley has always been a golfer that runs on the opposite ends of the spectrum for how the form looks at the time. When the form's bad, he misses a million cuts in a row. When the form's good, he goes on the run like he's going on now. Um, I wouldn't go any lower than the plus 135 market probably on any wager I make this week. I just think there's too much volatility. But Henley's iron should play nicely. And then just to run through these last couple a little bit quicker, um, I'll combine the next two together of Keegan Bradley plus 195 and Seamus Power plus 185. Both of those are also on FanDuel and are once again inside the top 40 market, but they go together in the sense that the perception for them seemed to get overblown. Bradley is always thought of as a volatile golfer that is waiting to implode. Seamus is marginally different because he is viewed as a journeyman that got hot for a handful of months before regressing to three missed cuts in a row. But I like where the data remains for both. Bradley has gained T to green in 30 of his last 33 starts. And Seamus's numbers have been undone by one round of golf lately during every single tournament that he's missed the cut. We don't have to look any further than at the API. He blew up on day one. He had positive metrics across the board um, on day two. Unfortunately, when you go eight over par on day one, you're not going to make the cut in that tournament. But um, I like where the numbers are. I think it's a good buy low opportunity on both of those golfers that are still trending in the right direction. And then I closed out my card with Thomas Peters plus 250 to come top 40 on FanDuel and a rare top 30 for me on Abraham answer at plus 180 on points bet. Uh, the Peters wager will be a low unit exposure play on a golfer that is elite out of the sand and with his distance. Those are two qualities that can separate him at TPC Sawgrass. And answer is one of my favorite values on the board. We have seen him post uh, the two top 25 finishes that I alluded to previously, and he ranks number one in this field for good drive percentage. All right. I, I, first of all, so much information. So good to hear. I'm about to play so many bets when we get off of this. I can't wait. Uh, before we get into turning matchups and round one matchups and all this other stuff, uh, we keep bringing up iron play here. 
Is there any thought about Colin Morikawa here? I'm sure that you've talked about it and thought about it a bunch, but given the fact that at least for me, I consider him to be the premier iron player in the game right now, uh, I'm a little surprised to see that we don't have any bets on him just yet. Maybe we're getting to it in a second. Uh, I don't have anything on Colin Morikawa this week. So when I ran my model, um, the three names that separated themselves from the pack were Thomas, Rom, and Morikawa. That's the order I had them in. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, the iron play for Morikawa is brilliant. For the weighted proximity, he's second in this model behind Thomas. Um, you know, when you have a 16 to 1 golfer, I've seen as high as 18 to 1 golfer in some markets. Um, there's only so many names you can get to, I guess, you know, is where I'm trying to go with that. Yeah. So when I added Thomas, that takes him out of the equation or out of the running for me in the outright market. And the one negative thing that I noticed, and, you know, I'm running my own numbers. So it's always going to be something that I at least look at and my numbers are going to be what's the most important. But when I looked at his offshore matchups at some of these, you know, sharper books, he is a dog against every single person that you can think of at the top of the board. He's a massive dog to Rom. He's a pretty big dog to Thomas. He's a dog to Rory. He's a dog to Scheffler. He's a dog to Hovland. And I mean, to me, that becomes a little worrisome when he is the most popular bet that is probably on the board this week. I think more people are getting to him than anybody else. And for him to see, like, if when you have all the public money going one way, we kind of mentioned this last week with Rory, when you have all the public money going one way and all the sharp money going against him, like, that is at least a red flag that I'm going to look at and look into a little bit deeper. And with him not being the top guy on my board, um, I ended up avoiding him this week. I'm just a little bit lower on him. But with that being said, like you can't find too many faults with him. Like even with the way I ran my model, pretty much everything across the board placed him in the top 25. And uh, I think the worst stat I had on him just scrolling through this really quickly was 13th on fast to lightning greens. And uh, actually it would be 57th on strokes gain total on courses under 7,200 yards. Uh, but as far as the fast greens go, I mean, that's going to put a little bit of the equation of like, his putter is very volatile and this might be more of a DraftKings answer than anything. But when you give me a volatile golfer and he's going to be 16 to 20% owned, uh, that's where my concern comes in that if the putter goes ice cold and 20% of people are on him, that I don't know what kind of leverage you're actually creating in that spot. All right. Fair enough. All right. Let's go over to uh, tournament matchups and round one matchups that you're targeting. Yeah, so the head-to-head -head market is always the hardest to time because of movement, but I will give you the four that I am on this week if anyone wants to see if they can still find these prices lurking. I took Daniel Berger minus 120 over Cameron Smith. I found that price originally at both DraftKings and Bovada. Smith has the exact blueprint of what I'm looking for when I find opponents to take on in head-to-heads, where his ceiling and floor are vastly different. I am always trying to find miscut equity to end these wagers before Saturday. And the Aussie struggles with both his total driving and his proximity numbers. I, I think Daniel Berger is extremely underpriced in this tournament also. So, um, you know, I was trying to figure out a way to get exposure to Berger. And one of the things I try to do just to throw it out there, I'm usually trying to find opponents to fade rather than uh, players that I want exposure to. I just think it's the easier way in head-to-head -head matchups. But got a little bit of both of those two things there where I'm a lower on Cameron Smith than the market. And I mean, I guess as high as Daniel Berger as most people, because I do think he's a very popular bet this week, but I think it's a good way to get exposure to him. I'm once again, going back to Russell Henley, minus 110 over Max Homa. For the record, the remaining choices were all found on Bovada, but Homa grades as one of the more mispriced players for me because of his recent form. I don't love the GIR totals. He is inaccurate off the tee. 
And I also found him against one of my favorite targets in Henley. That never hurts the equation when you can get something like that, when you get both of those two pieces together. I did Paul Casey minus 110 over Gary Woodland. I am less bullish on this one than I was the day before. I re-ran some numbers tonight, and the gap between Casey and Woodland closed heavily. That doesn't mean I still don't have an edge, but Woodland is no longer as much of a fade as he might have been earlier. And then this one unfortunately got crushed, which was Brendan Todd minus 115 over Troy Merritt. I have seen it in the minus 140s now, uh, yeah. but this was the largest edge I had before the movement because Merritt was one of my worst values on the board. I tend to stay away from head-to-head wagers when a ton of juice is in play, and that's being at the minus 140 range now. But I honestly still don't hate it at minus 140. It's hard to find matchups against Merritt in general. Uh, but Todd is one of the better options you are going to find. And I, I think it's a big edge. I think Merritt's going to miss the cut. And I think that there's a lot of reasons to like Todd at this course. Yeah. So I looked at the Todd bet last night when I was about to go to sleep. I was like, oh, I'll deal with it in the morning. It was 1.30. I woke up this morning. It was 1.45. I was like, oh, I missed that one. I should have just placed it at the he's, time. So if you think you want to do a bet, fire. If, if you think you want to place a bet and you think there's going to be a stand behind it, just stay up an extra five minutes, get that bet in and go to sleep a little bit later. Um, all right, round one matchups that you're targeting? Do you have any? No, I actually don't. Um, I didn't find anything that met the threshold needed to recommend a round one wager. Um, I don't know the last time that that's happened, and and I don't like to recommend plays just to recommend plays to users. Like, I, It's very important to me that anything that I talk about has a big enough edge. Like, Obviously, we can look through boards and we can find minimal edges here and there, but for the reason that you just mentioned with like Todd going from 115 to 130, then to 145, um, numbers move quickly. I want to make sure that when I recommend something that there's, you know, a 20, 30, 40 point edge on all these wagers to where there is a movement. We still have enough of an edge. So like these wagers where there's five to 10 points of an advantage that I can find, I never recommend them. And that's pretty much what we're looking at this week on all the round one matchups. So I'll run numbers on Thursday night and see if anything comes into play for round two. But uh, yeah, for me, round one, I don't have anything this week. All right. And if you do the round two, I'm sure that we will see that everywhere on Rotoballer and Twitter. And so keep an eye out for that. Uh, All right. Quickly, let's go through a little, uh, well, two things, DFS and then players we're looking to fade this week. So you already kind of mentioned that you're looking against Cam Smith, maybe looking against Max Homa. Is there any other players that you're looking to fade in this tournament? And then we'll switch over to DraftKings. Uh, those two specifically, um, I- I'm lower than on Terrell Hatton. I'm not necessarily looking to fade him. I think on DraftKings at 7,800, it makes sense. There's only 6% of people going to him right now. I don't think that that's necessarily um, a spot. Leishman, I'm lower on than consensus. Obviously, I said Homa. Um, Patrick Reed, but nobody's going there with him. Jason Kokrak, maybe I'm a little bit lower on him. One of the players that I really wanted to get a head-to-head matchup against that I couldn't find was Cameron Champ. Uh, But once again, on DraftKings, we're looking at less than 1% ownership, and I didn't even find a matchup against him at any of the books that I had. So uh, no, I mean, I think in general, this is a very volatile tournament. You're going to have to take stances, and I think that you're going to have to try to find players that you like this week. And kind of roll with them. Like I'm lower than consensus on Brooks Kepka just because of the ownership. Uh, I'll throw him out there. Like if he won the tournament, it's not going to shock anybody, but I think from a DraftKings perspective, he may be a spot that you could look another way on. Okay. Uh, so speaking of DraftKings, I have a blank lineup right here. 
So maybe you can help me a little bit try to put together what you think would be a solid lineup. So why don't we start at the top? Top five on the board, McElroy. Oh, sorry, Rom at uh, 11,100, McElroy at 10,800, Morikawa at 10,700, Justin Thomas at 10,400, and Hovland at 10,100. I like a volatile approach this week. Like, I, I keep saying that this is a volatile tournament, but I think that yep. with the ownership going in all the same areas, you either have to, if you're going to take the popular plays, you either have to do it in a way that most people aren't going to do it. Or you have to get really unique with it. And that would be adding like the Jordan Spieth, the Tony Finals. Um, I think those are options to go. But I mean, if we're talking about like, you know, a three max type entry or, or something that's not some MME 150 man, you know, or 150 roster type build. Uh, one of the ways I like going is just going completely uh, boom or bust with it and going Rom and Thomas at the top. I think that that opens up a lot of things. Pricing is really soft underneath between them. I think that you can easily find the Russell Henleys, the Corey Connors, uh, Sergio Garcia's, Abraham Answers. Like those are a bunch of $7,000 golfers that easily get fit into that build. And then you can round out lineups a little bit beneath that. Uh, like the Sebastian Munozes, the Keegan Bradleys, Thomas Peters, kind of those guys I have those top 40 wagers on with it. Got it. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and place this afterwards. Uh, excited to get into that. Uh, all right. We'll finish out the podcast like we did last week with our seven stakes contest on the champions round app. We're going to go through the entire board right now. All right. So seven questions. It's on the app right now. You can place it until tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Uh, only a couple spots left. So go ahead and join right now if you're listening in. Question number one, players with the best finish in group A, Rom, McElroy, Thomas, Morikawa, Hovland, Cantley. And for the pricing on that, Rom 130, McElroy 225, Justin Thomas 240, Morikawa 275, Victor Hovland 330, and Cantley at 365. You might have been able to convince me to go other another direction with it if Rom could have slipped from being the number one person, but uh, I'm going to go with my model. Justin Thomas is number one overall for me. I think it's a, a good number to get him as the third option on that uh, list there. Okay. Uh, I'm with you there. Group B, Dustin Johnson, 215. Xander Shoffley, 240. Hideki, 275. Cam Smith at 325. We're not going to pick that one. Scotty Scheffler, 370. And Brooks Kepka Brooks Kepka at 515. My initial instinct there was to take Xander for the safety, but um, I really like the price on Scotty Scheffler. I don't know if there's a reason to jump off of him yet. And, and I think that's a good number if he's going to be that far down on the list. All right. Group C, Jordan Spieth, 315, Daniel Berger, 320, Sam Burns, 325, Finau, 405, Will Zalatoris at 450, and Sung J.M. at 475. Oh, that Sung J price is really incredible. Um <laughs> It's between him or Daniel Berger for me. Like if if we're just actual like number shopping this, I think Sungjae is the best value that you can find of these options. Uh, but I will take Daniel Berger and play it a little bit safer. I know that that's a matchup that you can actually find um, at, at some of these offshore books. Uh, he's a pretty substantial favorite. The last I saw, he was about minus 150, which obviously if you're going for pure value, Sungjae would be the route to go there. But uh, give me Daniel Berger. I think he's a little bit safer. Okay, Group D. Uh, Fitzpatrick, 235. Louie at 250. Hatton at 265. Webb Simpson at 320. 
Fleetwood at 345 and Shane Lowry at 360. Oh, I don't like anybody in that group. Um, <laughs> what were the first couple names that you read off? Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick at 235, Louis Ustazen at 250, and Hatton at 265. I, I give me Louis. Um, that's not a group that I'm necessarily completely bullish on on any of those names. I think pa Fitzpatrick probably makes some sense too, but I'll add a little bit of the extra value with Ustazen there. All right, Group E, uh, Sergio Garcia at 195, uh, Seamus Power at 215, Patrick Reed 295, Paul Casey 300, Leishman at 315, and Justin Rose at 335. Give me Sergio. Okay, so Sergio at 195, the favorite in that group. All right, Group F, final group on the board. Joaquin Neiman, 185, Corey Connors, 205, Billy Ho at 230, Adam Scott, 315, Abraham Answer, 320. I think I know our answer. And, oh, Answer, Answer. That was a joke. I didn't even get that together. Uh, Gary Woodland at uh, 345. I will take Answer for the value there. I think Corey Connors is another way that you could go. I think those are the two names that, see, that's like, unfortunately, like the Connors, uh, the Answers, the Henleys, I wish I could have gotten them in some of those other groups where I had to go other routes with it. Uh, those would have been guys I would have loved to have grabbed that like plus 700 in one of those uh, ranges there. But um, yeah, I mean, with the way that this is set up, I will take the value on answer. All right. And winning score this week. Uh, basically, your options are 13, 12, 11, 14, 10 or lower or 15 or higher. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you the. I want to hear your number and then I'll go up back and give you the actual points on the board here. So my initial thought on this tournament was that it's going to be one at 13 under par. Um, I, I think in normal conditions, this could stretch up 16 to 18 under in the month of March. Now the weather could turn this into a completely different tournament and we could get something that's 10 under par or less. I'm going to say that guys are able to put up enough of a total over the first couple days that they're going to be able to hold it. You still have four par fives. I think that's going to help. I don't think these greens are going to be as rock hard as we saw last week. So I, I still think that whoever ends up winning this tournament gets into the double digits. And we talked about this uh, for the API. Like it changes a lot. Obviously, if you would have told me that that was a five under par tournament that was going to win the API, it would have changed my thought on Rory McIlroy. That was a guy that I said, if this gets to double digits, he has a better chance. We see him go in round one from being the leader. All of a sudden, the conditions get a little bit more complicated. He finds trouble. We saw the same problem with Hovland take place with it. So I think that that's a very important thing is try to figure out this week where you think this tournament is going to play. And then you can make a more calculated decision on the players that you want to use. But I'm going to say for the sake of this 13 under par gets it done. All right. So 13 under par is actually the favorite here at 215 minus 12, 320, 10 or lower, 325. 15 or higher, 400, 11 at 625, and 14 at 680. All right, so we'll take the favorite there at 13. All right, last thing before we head on out of here, and I appreciate your time. It's been awesome to talk to you once again. Thank we you, can't yeah. wait to have you back on the show, talk about more gambling on golf. I mean, it's absolutely electric. Uh, if you had to make one bet this week, just one, what's the favorite bet on the board? Well, the favorite bet would have been Brendan Todd. Um we're going to pull that one off the board with the number that it's at right now. Uh, I always like to go more towards the head to head matchups with it. I, I think that that's going to be your safe. Like that's my bread and butter. Your placement bets are fine also, but um, of the head to head wagers, I guess my favorite would be Daniel Berger over Cam Smith. 
All right. Best bet on the board. I love it. I'm going to go place a bunch of money on it. So Spencer, thank you for joining us. Once again, you can find him at T off sports and the better golf podcast. Uh, we'll talk again in a couple of weeks. We've got masters coming up. I can't wait to talk more with you. Thank you so much for having me on Jason. I really enjoyed doing the show again. All right. Uh, good luck with your bets this week, everybody. We will talk to you soon.